1: We've all heard the saying, readers are leaders. Today's guest not only believes this, but he wrote the book on it. Jeff Brown is a radio veteran turned podcast host. He recently released Read to Lead, a book he co-authored promising to revolutionize the way we read. Wait to hear some of his ways that he does that in this interview. Jeff, welcome to All Business with
2: Jeffrey Hazlin. Thank you for having me. I am excited to be here. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, it's great to have another fellow podcast and a great voice. You know, that's a, you got a good voice. <laughs> I'm sure you've told, been told that before.
2: Uh, a few times, but I'll tell you what, I never get tired of hearing it. Exactly.
1: Keep it coming. <laughs> Keep it coming. You know, that's what they would say. No, no, no more. No, yeah. All right. Hey, listen, you wrote the book about the importance of reading, but I hear you used to hate reading. What
2: changed your (laughs) mind? Yeah. uh, School kind of uh, educated out of me, if I'm being honest, the desire to want to read. I was always having to read things I I didn't care about, uh, learning things I didn't care about. And so the school experience for me meant that when I left school, my attitude was, thank goodness the learning is over. Thank goodness I don't have to read a book ever again. And as as embarrassing as that is to admit, I spent the next 10 years not doing any of either reading or learning. And it was sort of a, a serendipitous moment where the stars and planets aligned and a mentor that I was working under presented to me the right book at the right time. Happened to be a book by a guy named Seth Godin called Purple Cow. This is back in 2003. And I realized that the problems I was facing at work, the hurdles I was trying to overcome had been solved by someone else. In fact, I realized that probably just about every problem I face, somebody else has already faced. And more often than not, they've written about it in a book. And that was revelatory to me.
1: Yeah. Or now they're telling to you on a podcast, you know, which is which is just as good as well. But to do a little bit of one-two punch, you know, I was walking down the aisle of the plane yesterday. As I was flying into San Diego and I actually saw somebody reading a textbook with all these charts and graphs <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, shoot me now. Shoot me now if I had to read that book. But, you know, I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I tried. Mm. I used to read a couple books a week. I've really slowed down since I've had some eye surgery and so forth, but I'm getting mm. back to doing it. And I think more and more people are doing that. And I know that leaders are readers, but writers are also readers. Mm. Did you find that writing the book was easier since you read so much?
2: Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, the, the 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 saying goes when it comes to writers is that you, when you sit down to write, you kind of have that proverbial blank page staring at you in the face. But I found that not to be the case because I read as consistently and as intentionally as I do. A part of that process, as you well know, I'm sure, is taking copious notes. And so when it comes time to actually write and put your thoughts together and take everything you've learned and distill it down into newly synthesized information that's from you and from your point of view, you go back to your notes. That's your starting point. You don't have a blank page. You've got all of those notes that you now take and work from there. And that makes things like writing a book a whole lot easier.
1: How do you do your notes? I send myself text all the time or little emails. And now I have a remarkable pad. I used to write down a a little bits of paper everywhere, and then I would throw them into a big folder going, that's future book, number five, number six, Mm -hmm. whatever. How do you do it?
2: Well, I used to have a dedicated notebook, and by dedicated, I mean it was only used for the purpose of the notes I took from the books I read. And when I filled that, I would add tabs to it to show where new notes in a new book began that I could quickly glance at without even opening it to see what notes were in that particular notebook. Then I would start a new one in June. I moved to something <laughs> that you just mentioned, coincidentally, called the Remarkable 2 uh, tablet. Yeah. I have it right here, and I've been using that since then. So, all my notes are in one place. I do something a little differently than I used to, though. I separate my reading from my note taking. Uh, the way most people, I think, do it, and the way I used to do it is I would stop down, read a paragraph or two, take notes, read another paragraph or two, maybe take some more notes. And it made the reading process for me quite a laborious one, if I'm being honest. And I found that I got through books more quickly and understood my notes more fully when I separated those two tasks. So now I set a 25 or 50-minute timer, a la the, the, the Pomodoro technique. And I read and I continue reading without stopping and only allowing myself, Jeffrey, to marks in the book, like an asterisk for something pretty important I want to come back to or a question mark for something I don't understand or maybe I'm not sure I agree with. And then maybe a cue for a particularly pithy quote, let's say. Then in the next uh, session, maybe a 25 or 50-minute session, once I've finished a section or a chapter of the book, My next session is now just a note-taking session. So I go back to those markings and I'm just taking notes and focusing less on the actual reading. And I make sure that when I write my notes, I'm writing them so that someone else can understand them. I'm writing them in my own words and making sure someone else coming at these weeks or months from now out of context will understand them because the reality is future you weeks or months from now is someone else so they've got to make well, sense have for that you ever future. written
1: down things that you never i go back many times even text things to myself that i don't even know what the
2: heck i was talking about. <laughs> yes that has happened to me numerous times but with that technique i've lessened the number of times that that happens to me thankfully but yes i i've experienced that as well
1: well let me stop here and take a quick break and we'll come right back after this message
2: c-suite radio
1: Jeff Brown is our guest today. He's a radio veteran turned podcast host who recently released a book called Read to Lead, a book he co-authored promising to revolutionize the way you read. Now, as I'm listening to you, Jeff, I got to think, has anyone ever told you you're anal retentive in terms of?
2: (laughs) Well, you would not be the first, but you mean that in terms of? Keeping Watch notes. I mean,
1: I I <laughs> write, you know, I read a book. I gotta tell you, yeah. I read a book and I might circle some things or highlight some things or write it down, you know, and I write my keepers. I love to read a book and what were my keepers? Just like I do in this podcast, I always end this podcast with the things that I learned from the podcast itself. And then I can make a collection of all those things, and those are the real gems, you know, the keepers, as a good friend of mine once said. And I just think that's a great way of being able to do it. But you seem to really, I mean, a paragraph at a time, dude, I mean, i don't know that I could do that. To me, that seems like you're really getting in depth to
2: each book. Yes. And that depends on the kind of book I'm reading. If I'm reading a book that I know I'm going to be taking certain actions on, I know when I finish it, Jeffrey, I'm going to be creating a to-do list for myself, That I'm much more likely to read that book in the way I described a moment ago. At the same time, there are some books I come at where I'm just reading for how they impact my thinking and and what determines that for me at the onset is i sit down with a book and i decide what is it that i ultimately want to get out of this book why am i reading it in the first place and i write the answer to that question down now with that answer in front of me i know how to approach the book i look at the table of contents and that may based on what i want to get out of it that may mean i start with chapter 5 not chapter 1 that may mean that i read Four chapters out of the fifteen chapter book because those four chapters are going to give me what I'm looking for. I get what I need out of those four chapters, and then I set the book down, and that's a read book. That's a done book. I can go to my Goodreads account and say, "Yes, I read that book. I finished that book, even though I only maybe read four chapters." If I got out of it what I set to get out of it at the at the outset, then then to me that's that's the key.
1: Well, I've always tell people about conditions of satisfaction. That's exactly what you're talking about: is outlining mm-hmm. those conditions of satisfaction. Ahead of time, whether you're in a business, a relationship, or whatever it might be. I think it's good. Do you ever worry that, that you know, let's say you read four out of the 10 chapters, that there was a pony in there that you missed in some way, shape, or form?
2: <laughs> I've had that feeling before. I'm not quite sure I've figured out how to ultimately reconcile that. I will allow myself to skim some of the other chapters. So when I get the meat, when I get exactly what I'm looking for, if I'm ready to set the book down, if I'm curious at all about what might be contained elsewhere, I'll uh, leverage a technique we talk about in the book. And that's where I read the headings and subheadings of a chapter from beginning to end, and then go back and read the first and last sentence of each paragraph. With nonfiction, most chapters can be consumed in that way. And you still walk away with 75, 80% of the meat of that chapter.
1: Game on. I love that. I'm going to have to start putting in all my new books. If you only read four chapters, these are the four chapters to read (laughs) just to let people know. Uh, You know, a lot of people, Jeff, have a tough time reading, you know, but they like to read, you know. Mm. How do you find the time? How do you, you know, set that time away? I like to do it late at night before I go Mm. to bed. That's typically when I like to read. And then if it's really good, I get up reading it early in the morning and never get to my work because it just, it consumes me. I'm kind of obsessive compulsive that way. How about for you? How do you find time?
2: What gets scheduled gets done. And so going back to your meticulous comment, I like that better than anal retentive. So we'll stick with that one. Much
1: better, much better. (laughs) I love that.
2: But uh, I will schedule my reading time. I have an hour set aside in the morning and and half of that time is set aside for books, devotional type books uh, that I read every day from, like books on stoicism and, and the like. And then there is another half hour set aside for reading a particular book. And then there are times throughout the week that I'll set aside to read. So I think it comes down to priorities. And if you want to spend more time in books, then really what it's going to take, I think, for most people is scheduling that time. When you schedule it and treat it like any other appointment or meeting, like this one we're having now and protect it, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Oftentimes, when people ask our time if we just look at our schedule and there's a lot of white space and we think oh yeah i can do that meeting when that might have been time where we thought we might read let's say but if it's on your schedule and you look at that and you don't want to give that up you can tell that other person you know what i have an appointment at that time can we meet at another time and and, and treat appointments with yourself like you would an appointment with anybody else we often default to yes when people ask for our time and if we say no, we feel like we have to defend that no to the other person when I think what we need to do more of is default to no. And if we're going to say yes, then defend that yes to ourselves.
1: I think that's well said. It's just like we should do that with our family time or you know, mm. even working out or getting healthy and keeping that time too. You mentioned a little bit of the kind of books that you read. Some of them are devotional books. Mm. Do you find that reading for you is not just the taking of information and being able to put that to do, but a
2: kind of a, a meditation time for you? Oh, certainly. And as I, as I mentioned, there are several books that I read every day. And those, those books I, I've read every day for a couple of years. And so I'm going back to the well of the same books. And I often find that things that maybe last year on a particular date didn't quite resonate with me or not as much today because of where I'm at in life or certain situations is resonating me with me in a whole new way. Yeah to me that's very eye opening it's very it's cool to to read something again that maybe didn't impact you as much when you first read it but because of where you're at today it really resonates so i think it's important to have books in your life that are built that way or even books that you read years ago that impacted you then consider coming back to those i know companies who do book clubs who will have a couple of books that they come around to again and the staff reads them another time or a third time because new staff have have come on board. And maybe that was a pivotal book for the staff and they want anybody hired since the last time they read it to also be able to be impacted by that book and be able to talk about it with the rest of the staff.
1: How about fiction books? I hear a lot of B2B or, or personal motivation devotional books. Well, what about fiction? Do you read any fiction?
2: I do. I think fiction is great for creativity, great for communication. Fiction is great for developing empathy skills. Uh, When you read about other characters, people different from yourself in a story, in a novel, that is going to carry over, whether you realize it or not, to how you interact with people in the real world. So I think there is a place for fiction as well as nonfiction. I do admittedly spend the overwhelming majority of my time on nonfiction, but occasionally I'll try to squeeze in some, some fiction when I can. What kind of fiction do you like to read? I'm very much a fantasy fiction type guy. So I'm the I'm the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, the Hobbit kind of guy when it comes to my fiction. Less so than like stories placed in, in present day.
1: Yeah, I like that Frederick Forsyth and Daniel Brown and those kinds of books mm. myself. And, you know, I got to tell you, I've been going back. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to read Louis L'Amour. And I mm. have collected uh, over the years, one of the largest signed autographed editions first editions of louis lamora and oh wow in the world and i'm now going back and rereading all those louis <laughs> lamora books <laughs> that's awesome. all 120 of them there's wow. a lot of them yeah he cool. was a prolific writer and and some great lessons and so forth well speaking of lessons and great things let me take another quick break and i'll be right back after this message at Evernorth health services we believe costs
2: shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible.
0: Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. C-Suite Radio.
1: Today I'm talking with Jeff Brown, who is a radio veteran turned podcaster and is recently released a book called Read to Lead, a book that he co-authored promising to revolutionize the way we read. We talked about the kind of books that you read, but with all the books that you read about successful people, have you found any traits they share?
2: You know, I have. And I just recently in the last year and a half kind of put this together, put these thoughts down in, in a short ebook that we made available, coincidentally, for folks who pre-ordered the Read to Lead book. But as I've looked at these successful people and their personal habits, in addition to them being authors and successful in their fields, I've found that there are essentially five things that most all of them have in common. And they are these. And, and it builds an acronym for us called DREAM. So I believe if you want to realize your biggest dreams and highest priorities, you'd, be well to, you'd do well to do these five things. So number one is successful people that I've researched dance with discomfort. That's the D. They, they lean into discomfort. They understand that it's necessary to do things every day that scare you to live life outside your comfort zone. That's when it's truly worth living. The R is one we've talked about at length. No surprise. Ritualize your reading and make the most of it. We talk about that in the book, Read to Lead. The E in that acronym is examine your energy. Do an energy audit and look at everything on your schedule through the lens of energy. Just consider this quick exercise color everything on your calendar that gives you energy green, everything on your calendar that zaps your energy red and everything that's neither you know good nor bad gives nor take, uh, takes color it orange and then step back and look at what you, what you've done. Is there a lot of red? If so, there's some things that need to change. Can you bring some orange or green to that red or are, are there some red things you can delegate or get rid of? That'll really uh, show you what you're doing in a new light. The a is assemble your advisors. Uh, I realize this weekly in what is what it's called a mastermind group. So I think it's important that everybody have their own personal board of advisors, people you're meeting with weekly, optimally, who are encouraging you or are pushing you, helping you to do that first thing we talked about, pushing you outside your comfort zone, are challenging you, are holding you accountable to the things that you say you want to accomplish in your business and in your life. And that M, the last thing, is successful people have mastered their mornings. They have a morning ritual They set aside time, at least an hour or more every morning to make sure to pour into themselves first, because only when you do that, are you ready then to tackle the day, to tackle the world and make the most of your day and impact the most people. So dance with discomfort, ritualize reading, examine your energy, assemble your advisors and master your mornings.
1: Jeff, you got to do a book just on that. Just dream. (laughs) I tell you right there, that's, that is a great formula, you know, and I talk to a lot of successful people. (laughs) And that M part of it is very important. Almost everyone mm. that I know of that's very successful has that morning ritual where they either meditate, do some contemplative, you know, I sit there, just sit by myself in my big chair, looking out over the yard, doing my thing and getting my emails done, looking over my calendar, rechanging everything that I have to do. Mm. And I block out the first couple of hours of the morning where nobody can take up that time to do the things I want to do and get, as you said, delegate. I automate, delegate, or eliminate everything on my plate every day.
2: It's funny you mentioned that because uh, I've written a 25 or 26 page treatment on this. And, and I plan to submit that in a proposal to my publisher as my next uh, book. So hopefully that, that'll that'll come to pass eventually. We'll see. <laughs> Game on. Well,
1: you know, a lot of people, especially on these Zoom calls, they have in their background, they have a bookcase that has become a friend during Zoom era, you know, <laughs> and they're using what's on, what's on your book, bookshelves back there?
2: Oh, gosh. Where do I begin? I've got just about every book Seth Godin has ever written. All, well, that's a all lot of
1: books. That's <laughs> a, that, I know Seth very well. That's an entire uh, freaking bookcase. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> just about. Yeah. His work has been really influential to me. I, yeah. I read a lot of books on public speaking over the years. That's a craft I continue to to try and hone. So probably 20 or 25 books on on that alone. Books on public presentation design, presentation delivery, presentation structure, how to get booked and paid to speak, how to in, uh, inject humor into your talks, just about every kind of a subtopic on the public speaking genre you can think of. Specific books like The 12-Week Year, Brian Moran kind of comes to mind. Oh, yep. uh, Seth's uh, Purple Cow is, is an all-time favorite. Liz Weissman's Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter is a fantastic book. That is a book co-written at the time with a guy who was not very well known and who has since gone on to write a book called Essentialism, The Discipline Pursuit of Less, a guy named Greg McEwen, a great book uh, from him as well.
1: You seem to like a lot of the how-to books. That kind of in your favor?
2: I I think so. Yeah. I uh, I spent the last 18 years just wanting to optimize life and business, personal and professional growth. And those books have just been Transformational for me, if I'm being honest. And so I continue to enjoy those kinds of books. Yeah.
1: One last question for you is what advice uh, for leaders who want to get their team to read?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. First, uh, I think you should make sure they're catching you in the act of, of reading. Let them see you at your desk reading. I remember catching my mentor reading 20 years ago and thinking, oh, he's goofing off. He's reading while he's on the job. That's how I viewed reading. That was my. Yeah. my opinion of that. But I learned, oh, no, he's reading Jim Collins, Good to Great. He's reading that Seth Godin book, Purple Cow. He's reading Pat Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. That's how I began to be introduced to these great books because I was catching him reading. And that gave me permission to read on the job, to read at my desk. Make sure your employees know that's something you do. That's something they have permission to do. Encourage them to do that. Incentivize them to do that. Maybe you find a champion on the team who's really into this encourage them rather than it coming down from on high from you to maybe start a book club where they gather the staff together and you can participate in that and talk about the books they're reading together. When a a staff member, when someone in your charge leads that charge rather than you, the likelihood of the team coming together and wanting to participate is greater. Again, you can still be a part of that, but you've empowered someone else to take the lead and that can really drive the point home with the rest of the staff.
1: Yeah, very small investment on your part as a leader. I know we just did Keith Ferrazzi's book in our team and everybody got a copy of it. And awesome. you know, many times I'll send um, literally a hundred books out to different CEOs. I'll find a great book that I like, make a list of those books. There you go, right there, <laughs> read to lead. And then I send them out to the CEOs going, I was thinking of you when I read this book mm. and then promote those. So think what we can do to help other people, especially if you're another author. I think it's a great way to be able to do it. And of course, there's some real keepers in there. We're talking with Jeff Brown, read to lead. And so make sure you pick up a copy of that book on Amazon or wherever that you buy your books. Jeff, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. A couple of things. One was, you know, hey, conditions of satisfaction. Before he goes into the book, he's thinking of what do I want to get out of it? I think maybe I'd do that right before I bought the book. But I think sitting down and thinking, hey, what are the key things that I want to get from this book? And then making sure you write those down and then making sure that you got that. I think that's a great thing. What was the other one? Dancing? I can't remember. But basically, the one thing he talked about in his dream, I thought that was just great. And it was really about discomfort. Dancing with discomfort, I think was the name of the term. It could have been something different, but you get where I'm going. And I thought that's good. I think real leaders are okay with that. They're okay to be a little uneasy, that tension's all right. And that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget to tell a friend. That's how we get more listeners just like you. And we become great friends. And I appreciate that so much.